So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What's up, guys? Dr. Danny here with the Active Atlanta Podcast, and I got my good friend, Abby Keenan, on, co-founder of Intrepid Performance Consulting. She's a mental performance consultant, has a master's degree in sports psychology from Florida State, and has worked with some badass people, including special operations at Fort Bragg, as well as professional Olympic athletes, youth athletes, and people that are just trying to get better performance overall. So I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Abby, how's everything going? Awesome. Thanks, Danny. No, appreciate you having me. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I was also a patient of Danny at one point and he rebuilt my running form. And so the feeling is mutual. I'm pumped to be here. Well, and and let's let's plug your husband, John, as well, because he is a legit running coach as well. And you guys, it's an interesting, and we can get into some of this, but it's interesting the dynamic you guys have in, in terms of being able to train the performance side, as well as actually train people, you know, especially when it comes to, to running. So, um, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's funny how many smart people we get to bump into because lots of people get hurt and then we get to learn more about what they do. And, and, uh, many of the connections that we've made are literally from people that we've had a chance to work with and had a chance to work with you as well. So I'm going to shout out Abby here. We actually had her come in and do work with our entire company for kind of small group business, cohesive, uh, training to help us communicate better and realize that, uh, you know, like the way my mind works and the way that Ashley's mind works and the way Claire's mind works and Jake's mind, like they're not the same thing. And for us to be able to get on the same page was really, really helpful. So anyway, you guys do, do a great, great job. So let's start with this. Tell me kind of your origin story. How'd you get involved in to the sort of mental consulting uh, side of things? Like what, what drove you to that? Well, I have a, a bendy, windy, unique, weird path, but the yeah. like core of it all to me is that I was a competitive swimmer between seventh grade and grad school. So roughly 12, 13 years or so. And during that time, you could describe me as delightfully average, which um, <laughs> it, That's anybody a great knows, way to describe. <laughs> yeah, like it was it was pretty rough. So anyone who knows me now would know that like that's not who I am at all. Yeah. I am kind of one of those annoying people who strives for excellence in basically everything, even though it's unattainable. Um, So to me, that's kind of the why behind what I do is that I don't want athletes to have that story unless it's what they choose. Like if you want to be average and mediocre, go for it. If you don't, I want to help you get past that. I want you to understand who you are and how you tick. And we want to look at like where you are now and where do you want to be and how can we get you there with mental skills? Well, what do you so mean that, by average? So like, tell, tell me about that a little bit, because like, do you feel like it was more physical or more mental that, you know, put you in more of the average athlete category? Probably both. 
mental for sure. Like, so my thing was I could do really well in practice and lead lanes and my, at least I think my technique was pretty on par, but for me, I'd get to a meet and I did now like reflecting on it and knowing what I know now um, from, you know, getting my master's and working with athletes for eight plus years or so. Like now I know mentally I did all the wrong things and I didn't understand who I was as a, a swimmer and a competitor. And so in retrospect, I would have done a lot of things differently. And I think I, I really believe that would have been the difference for me. Wow. Well, I, I feel like swimming and, and like many other sports that kind of fall into this is sort of an individual team sport in a way, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. individual, but there's a team element to it as well. And in, in my experience, that seems to be the type of athlete that sort of the mental side of performance can really de derail much more so. Um, sure. So what other sports would you lump into that? You say like, man, these are kind of the big ones that you end up having to deal with. Well, we actually specialize in individual sports, mostly swimming, running, and triathlete yeah. or like triathletes, triathlon. Um, and that's where we've chosen to specialize one, cause I was a swimmer and two, like you said, John was a runner. I also run, but very recreationally. Um, and right. as you know, I ended up having hip surgery cause of your good eye and recommending me to go get an MRI and all of that. And so I'm, I'm picking back up running now, but then triathlon kind of came about as a recommendation and we've added that on as kind of our, our third specialty. And now I'm training for a sprint. So that should be fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, uh, but any, here's the thing though, like any sport has a mental component. It doesn't just have to be an individual sport. It can be team sports. It looks different depending on, you know, what's going on, what skills might be appropriate. Um, but I, I would argue any sport has a mental component to it. What about golf? I feel like that oh is. Oh my God, of course. The, have you played golf? <laughs> definitely. This is why I bring it up is like, I can't think of another sport where I've felt like it matter. It didn't matter as much physically as it did mentally for, for me to uh, well, do better. Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely it matters. You know, it's, it, you have to, you obviously have to know how to hit a ball and then what you should or shouldn't be doing. But I would play with friends of mine that if, if we were playing and it, it, you know, whatever, just no big deal, they would, they would kill me. Like they would just crush it. And then they would go and they'd play on the you know golf team or whatever, and they would do bad. And it was, I, it was just all sort of like pressure of the tournament um, that would, that would lead to them falling apart. So yeah. I don't know of any, many other sports that are more kind of mentally dominant than golf. I mean, you could argue for a number of sports, but no, yeah. I mean, and I, I think you bring up a good point is that any sport and a lot of other types of performances, they, we kind of think about breaking it down into four categories. So physical, obviously like learning how to physically do the sport and have the mechanics behind it and have the physical strength and agility or whatever is required. Um, having technique. So focusing on drills and learning how to technically be sound in your sport. Um, a tactical component. So what's your strategy behind it and how do you approach competition and then the mental piece. So the way that we think about that, a lot of times physically, tactically, and technically, athletes are gonna focus on those things naturally through a coach and through sport progression. Yeah. And they, unfortunately, a lot of times just hope that this mental component comes together on its own. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so that's where, you know, I would argue any sport, this is the kind of the next layer that a lot of athletes really haven't taking the time to have some intentional, individualized, specific training around, like, sure, maybe they've read books or listened to podcasts or 
um, you know, read articles or whatnot, but like they haven't figured out how to tailor it specifically to them. And so that's where we kind of can come in and help them figure out what skills are appropriate and how to actually apply them. Yeah. And I feel like it seems to be less, um, I don't know if it works. It's, it's less common from what I've seen for youth athletes to work on this until there's a problem. And, yes, you know, so and then true. all of a sudden it's, it's, they're reactive. Um, which, which for me, it always seems like that's the, the wrong way to go about it, but they maybe not know that there's a problem. And some kids, I, don't, I wonder if some of this is obviously it's nature versus nurture, but some kids, they just have short memories when it comes to their performance. And, and if they had a bad performance, other kids, they seem to remember every little error that they make. So I'm assuming that's the type of kid that you end up kind of having to deal with and improve their, their ability to handle that, that more versus the one that just maybe he's better at just buffering, you know, his bad performance and just like, Oh, whatever, no big deal. I'm awesome. Still like it's an internal confidence. I see these suckers and I'm like, dude, you're, you're borderline arrogant, but you kind of need to be there for what you're doing. Mm, yeah. To some degree, I would agree definitely that we get the reaction versus the, the proactiveness that happens yeah. a lot. And that's not just with you. That's with really any client. Most of the time it's, Hey, I've noticed that something is happening, which is acute. Like it's pretty recent or it could be chronic. It's been happening for a long time over years and years and years. And it's built up to where it is now. And then it's like, whether it's acute or chronic, there's an issue and we, it's like a problem. We want to solve it. So, and let's be honest, that's what people pay money for, right? Like that's sure. where it comes down to. Now we have a real pain and we want a solution and we want it fixed yesterday. Got it. The reality is much like the work that you do, I would much rather be on the preventative side where I'm looking, I'm good, but I want to get better. So having this kind of like learning approach to it of what else could I be doing? Well, with these youth athletes, I wonder sometimes too, if, you know, this is presenting itself in sport, but if unaddressed, you know, if it's not actually improved or addressed some way and they just avoid does it lend, does it end up kind of, you know, festering and, and becoming a problem in some other aspect of their life? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing is that all of this translates good or bad. And so a lot of times, like you were mentioning what I would, what I would qualify as like a type A perfectionistic type athlete, which I tend to attract because let's face it, that's who I am. Yeah. So for whatever reason, <laughs> we tend to end up together. Sure. <laughs> um, but what I see in that is that um, if they try to ignore it or avoid it, it tends to get worse and it tends to trickle into sport or if it started like in, in um, school, for example, it trickles into sport and vice versa. Yeah. So I start to see that spillover. And so one of the most important things for me, especially with the youth, I mean, with everyone, but in particular with a, with a youth athlete that we're going to work with, that's, you know, for us, that's like 13 to 18. We really focus on teenagers. Mm -hmm. So in looking at that, we talk about the skill, not just in the context of sport. So for example, like, let's say you're going to be intentionally building your confidence in sport. Well, great. How else might that apply in your life? And so then getting them to say, well, you know, I don't really love tests or standardized tests, or I don't really love having to stand up and present to my class for a project or whatever it is, but then getting them to, to, Tell me the context of that. And then let's take that same skill. So then great. This is how you build confidence in sport. Well, how could you build confidence with public speaking? How could you build confidence walking into that standardized testing room when you know that a lot depends on it? Yeah. So getting them to make those connections so that they're able to translate the skill. Such a great point. You know, I, I here I am thinking just like sport, 
performance, right? But you're, I mean, you bring up something uh, really relevant, especially to the youth athlete, and that is standardized testing. And, you know, I'm definitely somebody, I was a bad standardized test taker. Me like, too. It was really terrible. <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, but a lot of that was, I didn't really, you talk about these areas, right? Like, obviously it's not physical or technique, but there's tactics mm-hmm. that, my parents were just like, just go take the test. We're not going right. you know, to pay to like, let you learn how to be better at the test. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of times people are just like, well, I'm just a bad test taker. But that performance anxiety with that is, is the skill set that they learn in sport, you know, the, the, the exact same for something as simple as a test or public speaking. Like the, the, the ways in which they learn how to deal with that. So it, it transfers directly. Yep. Amazing. See, I didn't even think, I didn't even think of that. And there's, there's something about how many kids is the difference between them getting into college or not probably. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's just it is that you can think of any of those situations and this applies to adults too. Like anytime at work, like those are still performances, yeah. maybe not athletic, but you're still performing because there's an oh, outcome yeah. that you have in mind and there's pressure that surrounds it. Yeah. And so if you think of it from that lens, like it really is just making the translation and, and understanding how a skill would translate to that specific context. So um, like you brought up earlier, you know, I've worked with military, so I had the pleasure of working with special ops at Fort Bragg. And like, yeah. it was funny when I first came into grad school, I'll never forget this. I forget who it was, but some random guy, I was touring campus and stumbled upon this guy who was familiar with the sports like program at Florida state. And I was asking him about job prospects in the field. And he said, well, you know, like the number one employer is the military. And yeah. I just kind of looked at him like what? Um, but I had never thought about the translation. And so often neither do athletes, neither do parents is where all of these skills can apply. And so I look at it as like, it's more like personalized coaching, but it's an investment, not just in your sport, which who know, like, we don't know how long a sport is going to last, you know, unfortunately, right. good or bad sport is going to end at some point, at least the, the commitment level that you have currently in your sport sure. is going to end at some point. And so then how can we set you up to transition out of that by having this skill set that is applicable outside of sport too? I want to, I want to talk about your time before brag a little bit, because I think it's, you know, we, we, we have similar, um, I guess, experience in some ways, slightly different skill sets, but uh, I, I would love to know. I was not a soldier. So, right. Yeah. Well, I wasn't in the special operations. Let's get that clear. I was in the army. I happened to have worked with special operations soldiers and, uh, and, and, you know, and still do to some degree, you get, a, you get an opportunity to do that. And, and I've always found that environment fascinating. In fact, it's the first place I ever saw anybody really looking at and and assessing sleep as a huge part of like this this is what i thought was it's so it's so important right but like uh you don't you don't think okay i go to the special operations group and that's the first thing they're going to talk about with their operators is like and it's a huge component of what we saw from a performance standpoint so what did what did you learn about uh sports you know uh work and and mental consulting in that environment like what what did you take away from that environment Wow. That's a loaded question. Um, so many things. I mean, I think it's important to recognize I don't come from a military background at all. Like I'm not connected to that in any way, shape or form. So the first most important lesson I learned is just how critical it is to be an observer and to just soak everything in. So I forget the exact amount of time, but there were weeks, I think maybe even months where I literally was just observing. So all of the lanes that we were in, I'd be out in the field or in the classroom, 
taking notes, asking questions to, to my my staff, not to the, the cadre, because you don't approach them that way at that point, and just getting familiar with, I mean, you know, acronyms, ranks, uh, how the courses work, how they're structured, what's important to them, what the, because truly they were students, because I was more in the schoolhouse for the most part. Yeah. Um, we did work with some operational units as well, but um, most of them were students going through their their qualification courses to become, you know, special forces, civil affairs, or psychological yeah. operations. So, um, yeah, really, number one lesson, just observe and to be okay with that, which I was <laughs> admittedly not okay with that at first, because I'm just a, I just want to get out there and do it and kind of prove myself. But it forced me to put that growth mindset lens on of like, you don't know everything. And yeah you are coming into an environment where you know nothing about the culture. So just sit back, relax and soak it in first. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's number one. I think from there, I built a lot of confidence in that environment just because I was able to observe and to get to know the, I ended up getting tasked on psychological operations and um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, uh, I'll never forget being told you're not going to get in the course. So go out there and observe and build whatever they ask you to build, but you're not going to get in. And the team and I put together so much work to develop what we thought would be a good addition from the mental side. And we got in and then we had to execute like a week or two later. Yeah. It was insane. Um, but it, it was so rewarding just to be able to be trusted enough because of all the initial foundational work that we did to then go in and make an impact. Well, describe uh, PSYOPs, by the way, because I don't think a lot of people listening okay. to this understand what psychological, they, they may have any idea that the military has an entire yeah. branch called psychological uh, operations. Yeah. So basically, they're the ones who go into country and they um, are like thinking about how to persuade, to negotiate, to establish um, <laughs> the viewpoint that we want to have in order to create success in a region. Right. Is, is that a good way to describe it? I think I guess that is a really good way to describe it. Okay. I actually had a good friend that I went through PT school with that was a psyops oh, yeah? guy and he would set up radio stations. So yeah. his deal was he would go in, he would set up, you know, radio stations and then they would, they would push whatever message it was that they thought was pertinent to the mission. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and basically releasing information content, yeah. uh, you know, of, of the, approach that they that they want to take it's really fascinating it is uh, a portion of special operations yeah yeah i am um, i know traditionally you just think of like special forces and right. there's more than that and civil affairs does some really fascinating work too and yeah. and the thing is like they all contribute in their own meaningful ways so yeah. um, i i, I love that piece of it just getting an understanding of like how are you how are you helping to support the mission by having this very specific mos and it's it was really interesting so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think outside of that, like the other big piece of me working in that population was working with a team. And I mean, we, I think at one point we had 10 or 12 of us on our team at Bragg that were all, we were called cognitive performance coaches. And so, um, that was awesome and challenging because we all have the same degree roughly, but we all are different, you know, just yeah. like any team you work with different personalities, different approaches, different styles. So, um, you know, we, we butted heads at time, but we learned a lot from each other. And to me, that made, like, that was probably the one place that I was supposed to be that I know for a fact that developed me more than anything could have in my yeah. 
my field. So I'm really grateful for that experience and just being able to kind of give back that way. Um, but also, you know, learn a lot and uh, do some things I never thought I would do. But what about buy-in? Did you, know, did you feel like you had a challenge with getting buy-in from soldiers? Yeah. So interesting you bring that up. So John, my husband, now husband anyway, um, he was working on the other side of the army. So airborne mm -hmm. with the 82nd. And we had a lot of conversations around that. And so he found it was definitely more challenging on his side than on my side. Mm. Um, so in looking at special ops, yeah, you're going to have those people who don't give a crap about what you're saying yeah. and just want you to get out of their space and get out of the room. But for the most part, we found that the buy-in was a lot easier. But in order to get buy-in, like you have to be present. You have to be like a fly on the wall kind of. So I think the buy-in was easier because we were there. Yeah. We were able to be there and to observe and we were out there doing stuff and all kinds of weather conditions and just to be there. Like we didn't have a teaching section or anything, but we were just there. Yeah. And so to them, that was the most, I think I, you know, not to speak for the soldiers, but I think for them, that was probably one of the, the things that they enjoyed most about us. The ones who <laughs> liked what we did and found value in our, what we had to offer um, that we were just there with them and we were willing to go and embrace the suck with them. Uh, yeah. Not every single mission, of course, but like just being a part of it. Yeah. I, th I think the other big piece that you touched on there was, so the, uh, the 80s, the, you know, the 82nd airborne is, is, uh, I mean, that's a, a great, a great group of soldiers should have a great, great yeah, reputation, yeah. but to get into the special operations community in any way, usually you have to be slightly older. There's definitely ways to get in when you're younger, but a little more life experience. More experienced, yep. Yep. And as well as uh, really bought in to what you're trying to do. You're going through additional voluntary school. Yeah. So a lot of those guys, from what I've seen, they seem to be very receptive to, you know, many of these things. I've, I've had plenty of conversations with people about sleep in the military and you're not a popular person when you tell people like- No, you're not. How important sleep is. <laughs> well, especially because like, it's not possible a lot of times. Like right. sleep deprivation is built into their training and that's exactly. just the norm. And it kind of yeah. has to be like, I mean, you probably know more than I do, but it's like, that's a very real aspect. And so, yeah. yes, you can preach sleep, but you also have to be cognizant of what can you do if you literally cannot sleep yeah. because of the nature of your mission and how do you get around that? So yeah. we tried to tackle it from both places, but regardless, yes, I would agree. Sleep is probably one of the most important things a oh, human sure. can do regardless of what you do in life. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's all these other variables. Like the mental health side is, is, uh, is so accepted there versus you go to a uh, traditional, you know, infantry battalion brigade, you know, that I, like that I was attached to. And I mean, there's a huge stigma around behavioral health, but I think what the, what the, the special operations community has done really well um, with these cohorts of, of specialists that they bring together with the overall sort of goal of, of having a multidisciplinary team to, to get better outcomes and mm -hmm. longevity with these guys is that they've basically framed it as performance and performance is what they care about versus yeah. injury prevention. They do not and make, made it okay to say, Oh, so if I work on this element of it, then my performance is better at this. Like you could, you could probably make a strong statement that if, if you got a chance to work with, uh, you know, new soldiers that are trying to improve their two mile run test, like you and your husband, you could literally give them strategies on the, the mental side that would inc 
dramatically drop their runtime with no change in their actual like physical training because they understand how to manage pain better and, and, and maybe pace better, some technical stuff. And like, that's a very valuable uh, skill that those guys are actually looking for versus the, the, the regular military. I think that they don't care. Like they just, lots of them, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's plenty of people that are just there because they want money for college or it's a way out of a small town or a poor situation for them. And um, then you have these other guys that are self-selecting in these groups, which you got a chance to work with. And they're typically like very, very motivated, uh, which is a cool environment to learn from. So what did you feel like you took from, from that, that it, within Intrepid, you try to have, you know, a similar approach with the athletes that you're working with? Yeah. So I think one of to kind of flip your question, one of the biggest differences is that we really don't get the opportunity to observe as much. So we try to navigate that by having a, we do a free consultation and that's really our opportunity to initiate a connection with someone. So that is critical to whether we work with someone or not is taking, I mean, it's only 30 minutes or so. And I often joke, like, I'm going to try to get to know you a little bit because how often do you know someone in 30 minutes, right? But, um, but truly it's, it's giving the athlete or the, you know, the person that we're working with a chance to fill us in on what they want us to know. Mm. And we're going to navigate that with a lot of different questions that, cover many different things from sport experience to injury. I know you mentioned that to who's supportive of you, um, whether that's a coach or a parent or a teammate or significant other or whatnot um, to like, have you worked with anyone like us before? Um, and, and a million, I mean, there's so many different questions you can ask, but it's really a fluid conversation to then let us know, is this a good opportunity for us to continue working together. Do you have the buy-in? So that's an overlap um, because frankly, I'm not going to work with a client who doesn't want to work with me. <laughs> like yeah. that's kind of counterproductive in a number totally. of ways. Um, so from there, then we can put a plan together. And so all of that relates to what we call mastery sessions at Bragg. So working in the one-on-one -on -one kind of setting um, to then train skills. Hmm. Um, another thing that overlaps is really just the approach to training skills. Like we, we take more of a hands-on, very engaged, very applicable kind of approach. So while I know you and I can both agree the science is important and it has to be there as kind of the foundation for what you do, if you understand the science, but you don't understand the skill or how to use it, then I didn't do a good job. Yeah. So for us, it's really just, again, coming back to what's the context. So whether that's military or sport, what, what do we want to, like, what do we need to know about that environment and what's going on in that environment for you in order to make sure that you get the skill and you know how to apply it? So we do exercises and sessions, um, you know, I, for all of my online clients, which is what we do a lot of now, they have a private Google folder that we dump anything and everything we work on in there. So that way they always have access to it. Um, and it, another thing that I think is a parallel between military and sport is, um, you know, on average, we work with clients from the one-on-one -on -one perspective. Uh, six to seven sessions, like that's our average. Yeah. And I know that that aligns with y'all's philosophy and athletes potential as well, because I don't want to see you forever. Like I really like you and I like working with you. Yeah. If you need to come back and do refreshers, that's great. But like your mission, your goals are too important to be handheld by me. Like right. I want you to understand skills and take them and run with them. And then when a new situation comes up, be able to take the skills you've learned and translate them to that new situation. Man. So I think well that's, a, that's another parallel. Well, I, I love that point. And one of the reasons why 
you know, you're someone that we enjoy working with is because we do share that similar philosophy. And in, in some ways it almost, um, we, we definitely have people that, that we see on an ongoing basis. And, and I used to actually like very, I used to get really, um, aggravated by that. I'd be like, why do they keep coming back? You know, like it would bother me. Cause they're like, I'm, I've taught you everything you need to know, but that's not, not everybody functions in that role. And I really appreciate some of these long-term relationships we've been able to develop with people to really help kind of quarterback their health and wellness is what it turns into. Um, but I also think that to your point, uh, it, it is not the best business model to do things this way. Like no, there's definitely, <laughs> but, but it, is, it yeah. is, but it's, but it's, it is the, it, in my opinion, it's the only ethical way to go about it, to, to empower people with, with an understanding of how to take care of themselves, whether it's their body or their mind. And if, if a place is not doing that and they're not actually helping improve your skill set for life and you feel uh, more competent at, at that point when, when you leave, you really are changing. You're not, you're not changing at all. And you're dependent on somebody else's, which not where we want to put, um, put people. And that's not usually, uh, the first place that people want to go. Like, they're just like, Hey, just give me this pill or fix this thing for me versus, Whoa, dude, let's have a conversation. Uh, you know, like, well, it's hard. It it's requires, super hard. And, and this is something that we are really clear about, especially with our youth clients, because it's hard. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you that what we're about to do over the next five, 10 or 15 sessions is easy, but it's worth it at the end of the day. And you know, that kind of comes back to, I know it's silly, but like we, we kind of said our motto is like, get curious, train hard, be intrepid. And the point of that is like, if you're not curious and interested about what you're capable of and what this is and what this could do for you, then you're probably not a good fit for us. And if you're not willing to put in the work day in and day out and to communicate what's working or what's not working, you're probably not a good fit for us. And what that means is maybe over time, at least, you know, maybe you are not able to kind of live the values that we find to be really important. And that's okay. Like I often find myself saying, if, if I'm not a good fit for you, that's okay. And it's more important to me to recognize that yeah. together and to find a good fit for you. Yeah. Cause I'm, I think networking is super important and I, I know you're a huge fan of that. And obviously this podcast is a testament to that. And that's what it's all about to me. is like right. figuring out what's important to that person and getting them to the right place. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they're from, from what I've found. And, and I think it's an even harder sell on your end with the mental side, because it's just not yeah. as visible, right? You can't see it uh, like you can with somebody that's you could squat to here and now you can squat to here. Like it's, I can take a picture of that. Like you can't really do the same thing with many of the things that you guys are doing. They can feel the difference. They can see it in their performance, but it's, it's a little bit more abstract. And you know, I, I think that for some people they need to be in such a, uh, in many, many cases, a very bad place uh, and have been frustrated for long enough to finally say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this. And then once they, I, I think it's very um, empowering once they start to realize like, Oh man, like I can do this and I'm the one doing this. Like it's not this other person that's, that's doing this for me or that I have to go and see to, to do this, to get this result. It's infectious. And so many of the people that we end up working with, and I'm, I bet the same as so, uh, can be said for you is that, you know, they'll let us know like, Oh my, my brother's knee was bothering him. And I know that I had a knee problem and I take him through some of the stuff that we learned and it like felt better. Like how awesome is that? Like you literally paid it forward. And I think that, you know, what, what you're talking about is just doing things the right way to educate and be like, I look at it as I, we're, we're Yoda. Like somebody else is Luke Skywalker. Like our, the people we work with yeah. are the, they're going through this. We're just the guide. We just have to yeah. facilitate the, you know, know, the right path. It's so funny. Like, I mean, I, 
I don't take feedback well, good or bad. Like let's full disclosure it. But like, <laughs> so no feedback <laughs> is the best feedback for you. Okay. I do. I appreciate feedback. I just have to like mentally prepare myself to receive it. I hear but you. Um, when clients say good things to me about like, Oh, thank you so much. And you really helped it. And I'm, I just turn it back on them because it's, it's not about me. It's about you. And the fact right. that you are willing to engage, commit and do the work. Like that is the testament to why you were successful and why you achieved that result yeah. because you trusted the process and you allowed me to be a part of that process. Yeah. Like it's so rewarding to come at it from that lens and it's true. And a lot of times they don't, they don't own that. They just want to like, thank everybody who's a part of it. And I'm a, you know, everyone needs a team. Your team is going to look different depending on who you are and what you do. But like, it's you taking ownership and making the choice to make changes. Cause it's so easy for us to get stuck in the negative, stuck in beating yeah. ourselves up, stuck in old habits that just, you know, aren't feel like aren't serving us anymore, but that's just the way that we've always done it. So that's the way we do it. But to me, it's the person who can make the choice and get curious and find their team and work through whatever it is that their team is guiding them to do. Those are the people who are going to be more successful in whatever it is that they do. And they're going to enjoy their life a lot more. Yeah. That, which is, I mean, probably the end result should be the most important thing, right? Is I I had a coach ask me one time that I've never had somebody say this and he literally uh, stood in front of everybody. and was like, how happy are you? And literally he asked everybody like, how happy are you guys right now? And what the hell is this guy talking about? You know, it was a baseball coach. And what he was getting at was like, do you have love for the game of what you're playing? Like, because many of us had played for years and years and years and, and you get burned out on that. Anybody that's like specializing in a sport that ends up, that ends, ends up happening. And uh, to, to your point as well, talking about sort of this negative versus positive um, vicious circle that people can get stuck in, especially with sport and really in life, you know, to me, it seems like what, what your thoughts are and the way that you respond to things, basically your world becomes a reflection of that in terms of, you know, these people, we all know these negative people that it's just like, Oh, another bad thing happened to me. And it's like, dude, how have you been rear-ended five times this year? Like yeah. you're, you're obviously, and they're just negative about everything. And you know, you're just like, you, do you need to reframe the way you're looking at stuff? You're miserable. you make everybody around you miserable and you're just bringing everybody down because of constantly being negative. Maybe, Let's, let's, let's try some positive, you know, viewpoints on things. Like what's something good that happened to you today? Just yeah. one thing. Like how many times do you see, let's talk like, like youth athlete that maybe is having a hard time and they've just, they're just caught in this negative sort of feedback loop. How do you help them break that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first, like you were alluding to, at least I think is the awareness component. Right. Is that a lot of times people aren't aware that that is the cycle. Good so we, we work through a framework that um, essentially is thoughts to emotions, to physical state, to performance. Yeah. And then the cycle continues. So performance then can dictate the thought process. So we as humans tend to be really good at recognizing emotions and really good at recognizing performance, but maybe not so good at recognizing what the thought was that could have triggered the whole thing. Mm. And so what we look at is starting to help them become aware of good and bad thoughts. We actually don't use positive and negative. We use effective and ineffective. And the reason for that is that sometimes you try to be really positive and it probably doesn't mean anything. Like you feel like you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Like you're looking in the mirror and be like, people like me. I'm going to do this. It's going to be so great. And it's total BS. So um, we look at like, what is effective for you? What's going to be something you can think and tell yourself and talk yourself through that is that is going to push you in the right direction to do what you are truly capable of and create that authentic performance for you mm. based on your skill set. So we, we first kind of help them with the awareness component and then we help them with figuring out what does right look like? 
So what are effective thoughts that can help you to have productive emotions, to physically get where you need to be to perform based on your particular sport, and then to make the performance that you want the most likely. We can't guarantee anything, of course, but what can we do to set you up for the, the most success possible? Yeah. Look at what, what kind of things, if, if you start thinking effectively, how do you combat that? So there are a number of techniques that you can go through to um, change your perception or to combat that with evidence, for example, or to recognize like what in the moment is going to help you to kind of really just accept the fact that you're thinking that way and let it go because you can't do anything about it. So depending on the person, we would figure out what is the approach that they need based on their situation. But everything boils down to awareness to regulation. Like if you had to simplify what we do from the mental perspective, thoughts or other skills, it's being aware of it, wanting to make the change and then choosing to regulate it. Yeah. Well, I think in many cases, clarity seems to be a challenge too, you know, and, yeah. and being really clear on why this is important to you, like what drives you. And then, and then, and then from there being able to use that as, as a way to help, help with the monotony of what we know is the training side of sport in particular. And I, you know, um, I, I always kind of think about, uh, the, 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 the first time that Conor McGregor won um, the UFC championship, I was, I was watching the fight with my brother-in-law, huge Conor McGregor fan. He literally named his son Conor. And I remember it was really interesting, um, his interview afterward, because Joe Rogan, who is the announcer, he, he talks to me. He's like, Conor, how do you feel? Or like, how, how does it feel to win the championship belt? And he goes, it feels familiar. He, he's, like, I've thought, he's like, I've felt this, you know, hundreds of times. In my, in my dreams, he's like, in training, he's like, I felt this exact same way. He's like, this feels familiar. And that, that sort of like, it's such an interesting mental framework that, that he took to that. And, and I, I think that sort of like internal confidence of somebody like that, it's like overwhelmingly different than most people. I don't think people realize that that is also an, an inherent uh, trainable skill. Maybe, you know, maybe there's an element of, uh, you know, he, that's just the way he's built, but people can build to that, right? Like you can literally build that skill set. To me, it reminds me of like, we, we use the analogy of an iceberg. Hmm. So if any sport, you know, you think about the people who are at the top of that sport, how often do we as the average person get to see them perform? Like yeah. think about trials, like the Olympic marathon trials, for example, like you don't see them train. You don't see what they're doing. Sure. Social media has made things a lot more public than it used to be, but you don't see the hours upon hours of grueling effort and the team that they've had to work with and the PT that they had to go through because of the injury that they experienced. Yeah. You don't see the eating disorder. You don't see the relationship problems. You don't see the family brokenness. I mean, we don't see anything. All we see is the very tip top of that iceberg, which sometimes is really beautiful and majestic and like this mysterious, overwhelming, right. holy God, did that happen? And sometimes it's not. Mm. But the point is that I think it's challenging for youth athletes in particular to own their sport and to take preparation seriously and to train the mental side in particular, because so much of our society just holds those quick moments of success or failure on a pedestal. Yeah. They're just so, I mean, it's a quick second. And then it's over. And so I think for youth athletes, one of the biggest things that we help them wrap their heads around is that those things don't just happen. It's not just about talent. It's about the combination of nature and nurture. 
It's yeah. about putting in the hard work and not just going through the motions of practice and following what your coach says to do, but it's taking ownership of where you want to be in your sport. Like you mentioned, knowing what truly motivates you and not just, oh, I've done this sport for a million years, so I'm going to keep doing it till college. Like having a real, preferably intrinsic or internal form of motivation that you want to do this sport because you love it. Yeah. So helping them to connect motivation to effort to a, like a really clear process that is detailed and effortful and um, intentional, like it's focused towards the goals that they want, which is everything underneath the surface of the water that we typically don't see. Yeah. Um, so getting them to take ownership of that for themselves. What a good reference. That's like, that's so spot on. I, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of talk about your, your company. Cause obviously like anybody who has a, a youth athlete that is uh, struggling a little bit with things like you guys, you guys, that's your wheelhouse. Before we do that, I know you're, well, you moved away, you came back, but you're from this area originally, right? Yeah, I grew up in Gwinnett. So I started in Snellville, fourth grade, moved to Lawrenceville. Now I live out in the, it's an Auburn address. We call it Tequila because everybody thinks Auburn is out in Alabama. <laughs> so totally. I think when you say yeah. Auburn to me, I think, oh, you're in Alabama? <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, still in Georgia. Tequila. Yeah, but so County. Here, uh, I, I've got a couple questions for you. As someone who is a unicorn of a person who is born here that still lives here, it's very rare. Uh, What's your favorite like outdoor activity uh, area in, in Atlanta? Where do you love to go in Atlanta when it's nice? Uh, well, the reason we live in Tequila is because our neighborhood backs into Little Mulberry Park. I haven't even heard of that. Uh, which, what is that? It's, uh, it's at the very, well, I guess uh, northeast of Gwinnett County. So it's got paved trails. It's got horse trails. Um, so John and I love to go run, and it's, we have a one-year-old now. So it's nice to just yeah. – take the stroller, don't have to pack it up, just go into the park and off we go. We can hike back there and go to a waterfall. Like it's, it's pretty, but outside of that, cause that's in our backyard and we, we did it like that on purpose. Um, we actually have a Georgia state park pass. Yeah. I, have you heard of this before? I, I, I'm almost sure we have one on our, it's oh, on our okay. car, right? Like, <laughs> Okay. So a lot of people haven't heard of it. So it's yeah. like two bucks annually, but it gives you to where there's, I think about 50 state parks, Stone Mountain's not included because it's private, but there's about 50 state parks in Georgia that you can go to and then your, your parking is covered. Oh, so to okay. me, it's like, it reduces the barrier to just get out and yeah. go and do it. Yeah. Um, so we've hit a number of parks and anytime we have a free weekend and it's nice, we're like, okay, where are we going to go? So yeah. that's probably our favorite thing to do. What about What's your face? What is your favorite place to eat in Atlanta? You better, you should come with a good one. You're from here. I am from here, but my kitchen is my favorite place to eat. And here's why. So I know. So when my son was little, uh, we thought he might be allergic to dairy and soy. Mm. And so I ended up going dairy and soy free and it really opened my eyes to just all kinds of nutritional components and how to navigate that. So anyway, that has translated to us being a lot more particular about what we eat yeah. and where it comes from and what ingredients are involved. And so anyway, my kitchen is my favorite place because it's really safe and then I can make things that are fresh. So, um, but outside of that, before all of that occurred, my favorite thing to do was to get the um, Atlanta Passbook. Is this familiar to you? Okay. And you know everything about it. You should have your own uh, Atlanta podcast. <laughs> no, this is so stinging cool. Uh, another side note about me is that I am very uh, frugal. So we like to save money and all of that. <laughs> okay. um, 
So this will connect. So there's a, it's called the Dining Out Atlanta Passbook. And typically around the holidays, like November or so, you can get it. It's regular price, 50 bucks, but sometimes it goes down to like as low as 30. Huh. And it's over a hundred restaurants all throughout Atlanta. And it's a buy one, get one for every single restaurant. Oh, wow. So you can go to me. I also love to just explore and I don't particularly like to go to the same place over and over. So that's been a cool way to just see what's out there and try a new restaurant and, you know, could be hit or miss, but at least it's a fun little adventure. Yeah. I've never heard of that. All right. I'm, I got two things that you've told me about that I didn't know existed. Um, what about, what is a book you've read recently that, uh, you really enjoyed non let's, let's say like related to your field and, or, you know, psychology in general, but just a book that you would recommend that you feel like people could get something out of. Uh, well, I'm currently on a Brene Brown kick, so that's kind of where my head's at these days. Uh, so I'm reading Daring Greatly. She is a shame researcher oh. and talks about courage and vulnerability, which are all things that perfectionistic type A people tend to struggle with. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm really enjoying just kind of uh, using that as a way to reflect on myself and how I can continue to improve. And um, she's hilarious, too. She has a Netflix special. I think it's called Call to Courage. Huh. Um, and very random side note, I was listening to NPR the other day and Nick Kroll, do you know who Nick Kroll is from? He's the creator of Big Mouth, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Oh, I know. I've heard, I've seen the show. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a character in there about shame and he uses Brene Brown's research. I was like, what? that's freaking cool. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm on a Brene Brown kick, but from the psychology perspective, my favorite all-time book is called Brain Rules. Huh. And it's, uh, it's by John Medina. He is brilliant. He's, uh, I believe, a neuroscientist, if I remember correctly. Just absolutely brilliant. It talks about sleep. It talks about stress. It talks about, I know, right? It talks yeah. about all these things that are related to how our brains function to help us understand like how we are hardwired and what our, our nature is so yeah. that we can leverage that in different ways. Yeah. Um, that would be my all-time That's favorite. a good one. Okay. Yeah. If, uh, if people are interested in reaching out and they want to work with you guys, where can they find you? Sure. Love to connect. We are at intrepidperformance.com, which is I-N-T-R-E-P-I-D performance. Um, so that's the easiest way to learn a bit more about us. We have a, um, if you hit contact, you can send us a message that way. And like I said before, we do free consultations. So it's it's really a win-win. We want to see if it would be a good fit to work together, whether that's an individual or a team. Um, and we can recommend next steps if so. And if not, we're happy to make a referral uh, to someone in our network so that we can get you to the right place. Um, we're also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And it's at Intrepid Perf. <laughs> so I-N-T-R-E-P-I-D-P-E-R-F. Cool. Um, Abby, this has been great. I really enjoy chatting with you. I think this is going to be easy conversation. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy between business, the one-year-old, the other things you enjoy doing outside of, you know, being active. And so taking, taking an hour out of your, uh, your, you know, your, your day to chat with us, we really appreciate it. I'm sure people are going to get a ton out of this. And, and uh, I imagine they're probably going to want to, you know, listen to it a couple of times because you dropped a lot of really good information there. Thanks, Jay. No, the pleasure is mine. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the good work you're doing in the area. It's super easy to refer to you and just appreciate all you and Ashley have built. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. Guys, as always, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.